All right. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have those, you can grab you on your phone. You can do you version on your phone and grab the Bible, or we'll put it up here on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and read through this story. But as I do, I'm going to hit the first point with you, okay? What we're going to look at today is Jesus' freedom from the Sabbath, okay? And the Sabbath is actually one of the Ten Commandments. God said, set aside a day for me. Make it holy, which means make it set apart unto me. Make it different than every other day of the week, and, um, but we're going to use this passage to show where Jesus had a unique freedom. So the first point I want to show you as we read through the story is that Jesus is, do you say Jesus's or Jesus? Jesus. Yeah, I know. Jesus' freedom breaks their Sabbath. Now notice what I said. Jesus' freedom breaks their Sabbath, not the Sabbath, but it totally messes with their Sabbath. So here we go, Mark chapter 2, verse 23, by the way, starting with verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So here we go, right now, Jesus has a freedom that these guys don't have, and he goes, you're being unlawful. What are you doing? Now you need to understand, there were 39 different types of activities that you could not do on the Sabbath. And the reason they listed all those out was so everyone could be sure that they weren't doing what they weren't allowed to do. So they laid them all out. And in category number three, out of these 39, included reaping grain. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath. So the religious people saw Jesus' followers take some grain, right? Get the husk off it. And they decided that was reaping, and they said, this is unlawful to do. So Jesus answered in verse 25, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now we're going to go right into verse chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to continue the story here. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would actually heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Now don't miss this. I, this is where I love Jesus, Right? So what does the scripture tell us? That they are looking closely, right? They're looking for a reason, so they watched him closely. And and, and what does Jesus do? Here he goes, hey, if you guys really want to see, can I just help you out with that? (laughs) Hey, why don't you just stand up so everybody can see me totally mess with your rules. Jesus doesn't have a problem with this at all. So Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. So he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. So you guys, what's interesting here is the religious people of this day are so concerned about the regulations and the rules and these things that they have put together that they don't even want Jesus to heal this guy. 
Like, don't do something good on the Sabbath, because we got some rules here. Now, it's interesting, there was even debate during this day between the religious leaders for if, if you could even pray for the sick on the Sabbath. Is that not crazy? I mean, this is, this is what was happening during this day. So then it says, then the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So you guys, what we're looking at here today, Jesus, what he's doing is he's revealing to us there is a really strong tendency for human beings to get caught up in religion and to get caught up in human traditions. And religion, you guys, is advice. What, what religion is at its core, the negative side of religion, is when you are trying to get accepted by God based on knowing the rules and performing them properly. And so all, if you're caught up in a religious environment, your whole relationship to God is based on how you do. It's based on your performance. And so really, it's a self-justification is what happens. You're trying to justify God's behavior towards you. And so the reason you put all these laws and all these things together is so that you can figure out, because you want to know exactly what you need to do so that you can make sure that you've done enough so that God will finally like you. Right? Doesn't that sound like fun? Isn't that good news? Right? It is exhausting. I, I will agree. And so what happens is you are trying to figure out how to push all the right buttons so that God will love you and it can be so much about the details and you justifying yourself that your heart, what happened here, what? Their hearts actually got hard. So can I just ask you just real quick, do an inventory of your heart today. How's your heart right now today? Is it free? Is your heart free today? Do you feel joy and do you feel peace? Do you have rest in your soul today? Or did you walk into church today with kind of a fear of not being good enough for God? Did you walk in here with that type of heart? Or, here's what we're going to see as well, right? Or, how's your heart today when you see other people here at church? Does your heart just kind of full of love and an openness to everyone who's here? Or, did you walk in and you're a pretty good religious person? And you find that your heart is actually hard towards other people. Can I, I'm going to ask you a really tough question here. Any of you in here actually have an attitude in your heart of superiority over anybody else? How are you doing on that one? Anybody in here human? It is such a tendency to say, look at what I'm doing and look at what you're not. Or look at what I don't do and look at what you do. How's your heart? Because I can tell you this right now. Jesus Christ comes into that scenario. See what he does? And he blows that away. So, number one, Jesus' freedom completely breaks their Sabbath. But number two, Jesus' freedom clarifies the Sabbath. He totally clarifies it for us. Look at this, uh, back in chapter 2, verse 25. This is after he's, they, the, 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 the disciples have or grabbed the grain, and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It's unlawful. And he answered, have you never read what David did? Now, you need to understand something. This was a 
huge slap in the face. <laughs> because these were Pharisees. These were religious leaders. These were the, the people who looked over the law. You guys, their pride was, we've been to school. We've read the scriptures. We've memorized the scriptures. We know our stuff. We're the only ones who really do. <laughs> and what does Jesus say? Have you never read? I mean, he just went, so bam, and hit him right in the heart. He Didn't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. What does Jesus say here? He goes, there was something lawful, right? But David was hungry and he was in need. David and his companions, verse 25, were hungry and they were in need. And here's what Jesus is saying, you guys. On the Sabbath, hunger and human need trump what is lawful. Jesus says, the Bible says all the time, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so his laws, you guys, when God gives us his laws, they're gifts to us, actually. They're grace to us. His laws are always for what is good and for what is right. And by the way, why did God create the Sabbath in the first place? Right? Look at this. The Sabbath was made for man. Why is there a Sabbath? God goes, because I made it for you. I didn't make man for the Sabbath. And so what he's saying there, it was for human rest, the need for rest. It was for the need for restoration and for healing. Because what happens when you rest? There's healing that happens physically, there's healing emotionally, and there's healing spiritually. That's what happens. So Jesus asked them, what's lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And they remain silent. You guys, the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished. It's about replenishing the drained. It's about repairing the broken. So to heal is to do exactly what the Sabbath was all about. So, but what was the Sabbath to the religious leaders? What was it? It was a rule to follow. It was a way to earn favor with God. It was a way to, and then it was a way to justify their own personal righteousness. And every time you are about your own personal righteousness, it makes your heart hard. And that's what was happening. And that's why it says that Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Now, I don't know where most of you have come from, whether you have a religious background or not, whether you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church. One of the craziest things about reading the Bible is you are going to see that Jesus' anger was towards who? Go ahead and say it, you guys. Who was it towards? It was towards the religious people. But notice here, he's not angry, but he's also deeply distressed. And that word just means he's grieved. And I want to tell you, I, I want to tell you, I know in this room here right now, some of you have experienced spiritual abuse. And I don't use that word lightly. But some of you have been in situations just like this, where religious leaders heaped so 
many things on you and told you if you can't do all these good things, then God will never give you his favor. Now, in some of you, your hearts, like some of you can't even believe you're in church today because you said, I would never step in church again. How how many of you ever heard people say, I I don't, it's not that I don't believe in God, I just don't want anything to do with organized religion. Anybody ever heard that one? (laughs) Okay. Uh, By the way, I I was so blessed years ago, a guy who came to Christ here at K2, he goes, I just tell everybody K2's disorganized religion. So, um, (laughs) which I thought was pretty funny. No, but it's, it, the point is, it's not organized religion that we don't like. It's this. It's this lie from the pit of hell that says you must perform. Can I encourage you? For some of you, I'd love for you right now to imagine. I'd love for you right now to imagine yourself back in that place where you felt the condemnation from church and from religious leaders. And here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine Jesus standing right next to you, looking at them just like he looked at these religious leaders with anger and deeply distressed in his heart. And I tell you, the reason Jesus gets angry is because this is the stuff that keeps people from God. And the reason he's distressed and the reason he grieves is because his heart breaks, both for people who are caught up in religious stuff and for the damage that's done. In fact, listen to this in Luke chapter 11. This isn't on the screen, but there's a whole section where Jesus just looks at the Pharisees and he goes, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees. He says this, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. And then it says, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And so Jesus said, and you experts in the law, (laughs) woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Oh, you guys, Jesus came and he was completely, his freedom was blowing apart their religious rules, but he was also clarifying what this was all about. And so what happened is then the Pharisees, says the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. <laughs> like, kill him. Now, here's what's interesting in this phrase, and I'm gonna give Tim Keller some props here. He, I would not have seen this without studying some of his stuff this week. The Herodians. Anybody know who the Herodians are? The Herodians were the people who supported King Herod. Now, Herod was the most corrupt king that had ruled over Israel during this time. And here's what happened, right? Jesus was living during the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire would conquer a country, they would set up rulers for them. So Herod was a ruler over the Israelites, but for Rome in partnership with Rome. And so when Romans, and then when the Romans would come in and they conquered a country, they would bring in their culture with its philosophies and their attitudes towards sex and the body and the values and all the values. I don't know if you've ever really looked at the Roman Empire. Holy crow, all right? I'm serious. 
And so they would bring those attitudes completely and those values completely void of God. So what happened in every country that would get conquered, there was a cultural resistance movement. So they didn't want to be like the Romans. And in Israel, those were the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were the ones who were saying they sought to maintain the traditional values and the teachings of the Hebrew scriptures. And so they separated themselves. They put a hedge around them. They said, we don't want anything to do at all with the Romans. And they they said, we want to be pure to the Hebrew way. So the Herodians, who were totally in support of Herod, and the Pharisees, what were they? Anybody out there, what were they? They were enemies, man. They were in completely different camps. But now what are they doing? See, this verse right here, throw this verse back up there. The Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, that's really interesting because they agree finally on one thing, and that's that they need to get rid of Jesus. And I love what Keller says. Keller says he goes, this phrase right here hints at one of the main themes in the New Testament. Okay? So bear with me on this one because I think this is the freedom that Jesus came for every one of us in here. The truth is, you guys, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, is actually quite offensive to both religious people and to irreligious people. If you're religious, then usually that means they're about morals, and it's a moralism. And if you're irreligious, that usually means there's a relativism. And so both, what's interesting though, is whether there's a moralistic view of religion or a relativistic view of irreligion, both of those fall into a curse, really, of self-righteousness. So moralism says, I'm going to prove I'm right by following the rules, and then I'm going to judge anyone who doesn't do it like I do. Anybody ever run into somebody like that? Okay? That's what can happen. But in relativism... Here's what we say, and this is our culture today. I'm going to prove I'm right by following my heart. And I will judge anyone who will infringe on my right to do so. Anybody know anybody like that? See, isn't that interesting? That if you're moralistic, you're going to prove yourself by following the law. But if you're relativistic, you're going to prove you're right by following your heart. And in both situations, what you end up doing is looking down on somebody who doesn't agree with you. And so what's interesting is both moralism and relativism are completely negated by the freedom of Jesus. He is free from following a list of rules to prove that he's righteous. And Jesus is completely free from living a life dedicated to his own happiness. Okay, so all of us fall into one of those camps. Did you guys know this? <laughs> Following your heart all here? Okay, don't, don't raise your hands on this one. Don't give yourself away, all right? But in your own heart, how many of you fall more on the moralistic religious side? Do some, how you doing there? And how many of you fall on this relativistic side? where you're sitting there and Jesus is saying, listen, you guys, I am totally free from proving righteousness by following rules and I am totally free from the pursuit of my own happiness. 
So what Jesus, you guys, his freedom, and this is why it was an enigma to people and they couldn't understand him. And I'm telling you, even for us today, even for those of us who are trying to seek after Jesus, he's still an enigma to us because he's completely free from religion and he's completely free from himself. Now, can I just say, though, doesn't that sound good? I like, I mean, as soon as I wrote that down this morning, I'm like, oh, mm, that just sounds good. I'd love to be free from moralistic pressure, and I'd love to be free from this stupid thing that constantly drives me to think about myself more than anybody else. And you know what his freedom was? It was love. Jesus was free to love the Father, and Jesus knew he was loved by the Father, so how Jesus lived was he simply wanted to be in complete union with the Father, so he always did whatever his Father wanted him to do. And it was his greatest joy. Do you guys see how that's freedom? See, this is the difference between, man, I got to do stuff that's right to follow God or he won't like me. And I'll never get to heaven if I don't. See, that is so different than going, oh my gosh, God loves me. <laughs> and I am totally set free. And so you know why I do everything that God wants me to do? Because I want to. Because <laughs> I love being in union with God. So Jesus was completely free to follow the Father, not of a, out of a, a rule-based thing, but out of love. And then Jesus Christ was completely free to love other people. He was completely dedicated to his, he was, I'm sorry, Jesus loved other people, never dedicated to his own happiness, but always for the benefit of others. You guys, and this is Freedom. And this is what Jesus Christ came to do, and this is what the gospel does for us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, them, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery to what? I think it's either slavery to rules or it's slavery to your own heart. You're free. Now, so what do we do? How do, how do we gain this freedom that Jesus wants to give us? The first thing you have to do, every human being has to do this, you guys, we must get to the point where we can confess our self-righteousness. Which is what? Self-righteousness is simply we have no need of Jesus. Because religious people who are trying to show that they're righteous by every good thing they do, that's their self-righteousness. And if you're just following your heart and doing whatever you want to do to make yourself happy, what you're saying is myself is God. It's whatever's right for me. That's self-righteousness. So one of the first things we got to do is we got to both confess. I have a tendency either to do whatever I want to do for my own happiness or I have a tendency to try to gain God's favor through religion. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, right before the story it says, on hearing this, Jesus was hanging out right, with, with people who are sinners, right? And so the religious people were looking at him and saying, why are you doing this? Why are you hanging out with them? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what does that mean? Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. Well, I can tell you what righteous there doesn't. It doesn't mean people who don't need him, right? Because there's nobody who's righteous, the clue is Jesus is describing himself as a doctor here, as a physician. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you like to go to the doctor? Right? Nobody likes to go to the doctor. When do you finally end up going to the doctor? When you're so sick that you can't take care of the pain yourself. 
right? See, it's not until that point do you finally give in and go, okay, I need you, doc, and I don't need you just to tell me I'm sick. I need you to fix me, right? See, that's, it's I realize, when that happens, you're saying, I realize I need you to do something for me. And so Jesus is saying, I didn't come for the righteous. What he's saying there, you guys, spiritually righteous people are people who don't need to go to the doctor. And religious people don't think they need Jesus. They actually think they can do it on their own. And people who are seeking after their own happiness are doing the same thing. I can make my own self happy. I'm going to follow my own heart. I don't need Jesus. And that's where he comes in and says, you guys, the only person who'd he come for? I didn't come for the righteous. He says, I came for the sinner. You know who the sinner is? <laughs> you? Okay, great. Anybody else? Anybody else? Do I see another one? Do I see? <laughs> no, but you know what a sinner is? A sinner is somebody who finally goes, I've got a problem and I need help. I can't follow the rules and I'm sick and tired of trying. And I can't even follow my own heart. See, that's the other problem. You ever try to follow your own heart? It still never will satisfy yourself. I love what Keller says. He goes, the gospel does not say the good are in and the bad are out. And it doesn't say the open-minded are in and the judgmental are out. The gospel says the humble are in and the proud are out. So you guys, Jesus' freedom. Here's what I want to encourage you to do today. Number one, some of you need to quit following the rules and instead you need to receive a new heart. And some of you need to quit following your heart and you need to receive God's heart. And when that happens, you'll find life. You will finally be free to follow God, not to gain his favor, because, but because you have his favor. And you will be free from following your own heart and trying to make yourself happy and instead, you'll have Christ's heart, the Spirit of God, poured into you so that you're free from yourself and you actually can care about others instead. Does that sound good to anybody? That is the gospel. So you guys, as we worship, this is so important to take this time here right now and just remind yourselves, wait a second. First of all, thank you, Jesus, for setting me free from these rules that I can't do. And thank you, Jesus, for setting me free from myself. So as we worship, that was the cue, all right. <laughs> as we worship here, I just wanna, I wanna encourage you to, to, to just do this, to take some time right now and investigate your heart. Are you depending on your righteousness or are you gonna take Jesus' righteousness? Are you going to depend on your own self or are you going to let him set you free from yourself? So let's stand together and here's the first words you're going to sing as we begin. You're going to say, Jesus, your body was given for all the broken of the world. So are you healthy or are you sick? Are you righteous or are you a sinner? Are you broken? Because Jesus says it's those who are broken and those who are poor in spirit, those who are humble that actually receive my grace. 
Now by your wounds, Jesus, we are made whole. Not by my efforts, not by my religious works, not by my life, but by yours. Your blood was spilled for us. This is the hope of guilty souls. Now from your hand, forgiveness flows. You guys, praise him. Take a good 20, 25 minutes right now and praise God that he sent Jesus Christ to set us free from religious burden and from selfish hearts. That's the life he has for us. Let's thank him for it.